when you watch political channels, you know, they'll say, well, the CNN is this and Fox News is, is, is extreme and you have this spin and you have that spin. The beauty of, of financial statistics is the numbers are what they are. Welcome to the 457 SEO, a place for stories, information, and observations about our southeastern Ohio communities. Presented by WOUB News. I'm Allison Hunter. I'm Susan Tebbin. And I'm Atish Baidya. It's our last podcast for the year, and we're talking about government spending, holiday traditions, and we get to hear Allison sing some of her favorite Christmas music. Uh-oh. But first, when you're talking about county governments, or any government really, We in the news business tend to use the phrase, follow the money. One good way to do that is by talking to the county auditor, so that's what we're doing. Jill Thompson is currently the Athens County Auditor, where she's made one of her main focuses accountability. She's run the books on the county for nearly two decades, and we're going to talk to her about what the still undecided elimination of that Medicaid managed care tax will mean for Athens County, and what she thinks the future of the county will look like. Thank you for the opportunity to meet with you today. I'm Jill Thompson. I'm the auditor of Athens County. I'm past president of the Ohio GFOA and also sit on the Ohio Council of County Officials as their secretary treasurer. And I work on a committee there um, for the MCO sales tax. I also serve as a past president of the County Auditors Association of Ohio. I'm very active with local legislative issues as well as in my office as providing resources to local government officials and um, working with our townships, villages, cities, and and other um, county and state um, officials. So um, that's kind of who I am and what I do. So. What's the GFOA? Well, we Government start. Finance Officers Association. Ah, the important one, the money. Okay. <laughs> yep. All right. Well, thanks for being with us. Um, the first thing that we usually ask, um, and in your role as auditor, you may see a different way to answer this, is what does Southeast Ohio need and how do we get it? Sure. Um, I'll tell you what, Southeast Ohio, I kind of feel is like the stepchild of Ohio. And, you know, I always joke with legislators, I said, you know, there are four quadrants in Ohio. There's Northwest, Northeast, um, Southwest, and Central Ohio. (laughs) And, And when I look at where the dollars and cents are going or where legislators are paying attention, or if you watch statewide platform candidates, where they're traveling to and where they're raising money and um, what issues they're actually tuned into, generally it's everywhere but here. And so I think when you talk about what does Southeast Ohio need, we need representation, we need jobs, we need industry. But to have any of those things, I mean, we really just need to be on the map so that we are getting the attention um, that I, I believe our region deserves. And when you talk about representation in the state house, it's all based on population and goes back to how many voters do you have here. And when you look at per square inch of Ohio, how many voters do we have in southeast Ohio versus Cleveland, Cincinnati, um, you know, Columbus? Well, you know, we've got Coolville and Chansey. <laughs> but when you talk about the seas, but they don't have near <laughs> the, the representation that you're talking about when you're looking at those other areas of, of the state. And so I think we have a really difficult time getting on the map, getting attention, you know, it's going to take um, probably 12 legislators for our region to all be on the same page advocating for us just to meet maybe one or two in Columbus or Cleveland or Cincinnati. So to me, that's of great
great concern. And so it takes a lot more um, cooperation and working together to get um, get funds here and get um, you know things happening for our region. And that that's not an easy an easy thing to undertake. Yeah. And one of the funds that we've been looking at a lot, uh, and most of the counties around Southeast Ohio, is the managed care organization tax. Um, we've talked about that a little bit here um, with Meg's County Commissioner, Randy Smith. Um, what's the effect that it's going to have if it goes away? And as of right now, the Senate and the House decided not to vote on the override of it. Of the veto, well, the House did override. The House, the House did overrode. I'm confused. Yes, the House <laughs> overrode the veto. The Senate did not. Senate decided not to. Yeah. Um, what does it mean for Athens County that the tax itself, and what does it mean if it goes away? Okay, so that's a really broad question, mm-hmm. and we were faced. You know, this was brought to us last year, and said, "Hey," and maybe even a little bit before. Um, this had been a very large source of revenue, not just for um, counties and transit authorities, but also for the state of Ohio. And so what we kind of got um, wind of, first of all, which would have been back in February, was the state had been, even when we were told about it, I guess I have to back up a little bit, because we did have um, Tim Keene address us, we had the tax commissioner address us, we had everybody who was wanting to be somebody come to us and say, hey, we have this great, you know, this really important news for you. This is going to be going away. And we're just like, okay, how many times do we have to be told this? But um, we were always told, but the state is working on a solution. So, you know, um, just sit tight, which is, as county elected officials, we don't do well anyway. As auditors, it's really a little tougher. And then when you're talking about Southeast Ohio representation, it's even worse because we know we have to be way out in front of this. So as the the Auditors Association, I asked for a committee to be formed for MCO. Um, I asked to chair that. Um, and then I used that as a segue to form a committee through the Ohio Council of County Officials, which is every county elected official that can be represented at the county level. And all of our associations then work together. And we asked to be able to tackle this issue. And, and they they were um, kind to let me chair that committee. And I worked with the County Commissioners Association primarily because they are the largest county official association with the most resources. And I was very fortunate to, to be able to kind of get a jump start there. Mm-hmm. So we began looking at, hey, what's going on? What does this mean? How is this happening? And what is the impact? And um, one of the things that was interesting to me that you may not get very often is we got preliminary numbers and those preliminary numbers showed Athens at about 10.2 percent of an impact of our current sales tax collection and our current sales tax collection is you know um, right now for well for 2016 it was over 6.7 million dollars this is clearly um, a pretty significant portion of our budget where our budget's running um, about 15 15 to 16 million right now mm-hmm. and um, from from 16 to 17 and so that's an important part that's our largest source of revenue whereas you know local government rev funds used to be a, a really big um, component of one of our top sources of revenue and, and that certainly isn't the case today so we were looking at a lot of different things. We we in, immediately started forming, brainstorming, looking at solutions because we knew with the legislature, if we didn't come with a solution, they were just going to bat us away because they were already coming up with their own ideas. What was really frustrating to us was initially what they said is, we are going to um, the administration, as they like to be referred to, I guess. Um, they, they did have a hold harmless permanent solution for the state. They did not have a permanent hold harmless solution for county governments and transit authorities. What does that mean, hold harmless? 
that means that it's a full um, a full replacement. They would not lose any revenue. They've come up with this. What they did is they um, they instituted a fee, um, and the way that it was done, then the state would actually, I believe, receive actually a little additional revenue than what they had received in the past. Whereas counties, they um, seem to suggest to us that we really just needed to be kind of weaned off of this and learn how to live without it, and that's really frustrating to me as an auditor. I've served um, for 17 years um, under uh, serving the people of Athens County and working with state agencies, um, legislators, um, you know, officials. And the 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 thing is that seems to be the mantra, regardless of the political affiliation of the administration, is that counties need to do more with less. And we're happy to do that. And we have. But at some point, um, at some point, local government cannot continue to provide the service on behalf of the state that we're charged with um, with law to provide. And so those were really hard conversations that I felt like we really needed to start having. Mm-hmm. Um, we lost um, our business tax. Now, granted, I don't think we had the best tax structure in the nation. I think it did need some adjustment. But what they did is they took a tax that was taxed to businesses based on inventories that was currently being redistributed back into the back to the local government or the community where that business was located, which makes sense, right? So the business owner is actually giving money back to their village, their township, their community, the county, a portion of that tax that was being collected so that the infrastructure could be maintained, so that services could be provided um, as a result of those businesses being there. And what the state did is they changed it to a CAT tax, as you've probably heard, commercial activity tax based on a percentage of sales. And you use that tax as a state funding um, source. So, the, you know, the state kind of completely ignored the fact that local governments weren't going to be getting those dollars anymore, which for Athens County in that one year was over $3 million. That adds up. That's mm-hmm. a lot of money going back into Athens County that now isn't there. And what are those What are those revenues used for, or those funds used for, even with the MCO and the, the business tax that you're talking about? So the, the MCO is part of the sales tax, which is a general fund operating. Um, okay. So that's, that's how we operate our government, right? So it's unrestricted, and it is a, clearly a revenue source for governments. And when we were talking about the, you know, the, the business tax, that was going into um, unrestricted funds for local governments that now it doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing is, and, and um, you know, we had another administration come in and they decided that we needed, that they needed more money again. And we were in tough times, but the first thing they seem to want to do is cut local governments again. And so uh, local government funding got cut significantly, um, where it used to be one of our larger sources of revenue. Um, now, you know, it's it's not, mm-hmm. um, not even close. So I went back and I looked and at like 2007, our local government distribution was over 1.2 million. This year we're expecting to get um, under 600,000. Wow. So it is another source of revenue that's gone. And then uh, something that people don't talk about very often that I think is really important is, you know, um, the the thing that is really easy to give away is other people's money. So, you know, when you, you know, if you want to take somebody else's dollar and decide what which 
great cause you're going to give it to, you have all of these ideas as to how to spend it. But when you have to take it out of your own pocket, it's a little different. State government has been broadening one of our other uh, largest sources of revenue, which is real estate tax. And so what they do is they keep uh, – they don't, haven't been broadening the tax. They've been broadening the exemptions for the tax. So we actually um, – and I ran some numbers before I came because this is something that is, is very concerning to me. Um, they continue to pass laws to help special interests not pay real estate taxes. None of the real estate tax goes to the state. All of the real estate tax is a local tax. It's, again, what we're being told, raise taxes locally, put on additional levies, support your own causes. What they forget is our cause is theirs. I don't exist without the legislator, without the legislature, and my job is to perform services on behalf of the state of Ohio. So it, it kind of doesn't make sense when you look at it big picture. But when you look at from 2006 to 2016, right, our exempt value parcels were growing at a rate of 37%. And our value appreciation of taxable value was only growing at 28%. We have one of the highest exempt tax bases in the state of Ohio, only next to a nuclear plant in Pike County, okay? So we can't continue to exempt the tax base that we're given for local taxation and keep having these uh, other sources uh, taken away from us. How does, when, when the state puts the onus on counties to um, raise taxes to, to, to get more revenue, and takes away or ex and takes away some pools. So this dynamic that's happening for counties in Southeast Ohio, because of the population and the makeup and the demographics, does that hurt counties in Southeast Ohio way more than it hurts more populous urban counties, Columbus, Cleveland, Cincinnati, in a way that it's just you can't make up the difference where other counties can make do or, or squeak by or find other ways. It, it really just is like cutting your knees off. So that's a really great question, and I always am – I'm a stats junkie, right? This is what I do. My major was financial economics here at Ohio University for my master's program. So the numbers don't lie, and that's what I love about it. And I said, you know, when you watch political channels, you know, they'll say, well, the CNN is this and Fox News is, is extreme, and you have this spin and you have that spin. The beauty of, of financial statistics is the numbers are what they are. And so when you watch business news, either the market's rising or it's not. You know, you can't make it up. And so what I think is really interesting is try and watch, put your finger on the pulse of the state's projections and let me know how that works out for you. Because they do a awful, there's just no better way to say it, job of projecting revenues and what's happening in our state of the economy in Ohio. Now, I don't know why. I mean, I'm sure that there would be a lot of maybe reasonable or realistic reasons as to why they're so bad at it. But when we got our first set of numbers from the state, we actually, they actually said Athens County's portion would be about 10.2%. And then later on, they said, oh, now it's only going to be about 9.8. And I'm like, but wait a minute, you were giving me a hard number, right? Saying what percent of the sales tax that was collected was attributed to the MCO? How does that change from one report to the next by, you know, in, in this case, over a percentage point, which may not seem like a big margin, but when you're talking about a percent of millions of dollars, of course it is. So I struggle with that component of it initially. Then when you look at it big picture and you start looking at drilling down, okay, where are these numbers coming from? Where are the hardest hit counties? Eight of the 10 of the hardest hit counties are in southeastern Ohio. 
And to me, that speaks volumes. It jumps off the page. The, the most um, impacted county, because you're talking about poverty, you're talking about people that are dealing with addictions and drug abuse. You're talking about counties that don't have a lot of resources and have um, stagnant or not high growth tax bases to begin with, right? And when you're talking about eight of the top 10 that are impacted all being in southeastern Ohio, that's a big deal, all right? A big deal that people don't want to talk about. So um, I talked to my friend and colleague in Vinton County, who by, you know, by for good fortune, I guess, her legislator is chair of the finance committee, um, Representative Ryan Smith, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and he, great advocate to have. Ryan does a great job. Our legislator, Jay Edwards, does a fantastic job. You know, anytime I go and say, hey, Jay, this is a problem, he's on top of it, and he's communicating with me. So I appreciate that. Um, in this case, Senator Dolan was a good advocate for us in the Senate. But the fact of the matter is, when I talked to Cindy Owings, the Vinton County Auditor, she said, okay, Jill, here's what the impact means, because I ran the numbers. You're talking almost 25% of their sales tax that they collect. And you're talking about Vinton County. Remember when they got a McDonald's? Remember when they lost their grocery store? Yeah, they just got one. Do, do you know what I mean? So, so this is a small community. Really, it's a little bigger than MacArthur. Right? I mean, there's just not a lot else happening there. And they are a huge part of uh, a national forest. So, again, they have an exempt tax base that there's not a lot of growth going on there. So she said, Here, Jill, here's what the picture is we're laying off every employee that's not elected, and we can't afford the unemployment. So, how do you communicate that to somebody who's representing Cleveland? or Columbus, or Cincinnati. And then when you talk about, okay, real hard numbers and cents, what does that mean? I look at my colleagues in these larger um, metropolitan areas, and they're very fortunate. They're hardworking, they're dedicated. Their jobs don't look like mine, and they'll, and they'll tell you that, right? Their staffs are larger. Their scope is different as far as what the auditor does. When you go see Cindy, she's waiting the counter with maybe her one and a half other employees, you know, who are multitasking in every department and answering whatever call comes in, right? I'm very fortunate. I have some divisions. I'm a little more specialized. Um, I can do some different things because I have a little more resource. But here's the biggest thing. When you start having counties dissolve, right, because that's what we're talking about, Vinton County will no longer be on the map. It will be gone. Because how long do you think the elected officials are going to be able to provide the services mandated by the state of Ohio? And how quick is it going to happen that they can't with the resources that they have? So then what happens to the stronger counties around them? They don't become stronger. They may become bigger, but they're not going to become stronger because we're taking on more liability than we are assets, right? They don't have assets to provide us. They only have liability. So then we become weaker as a region, and there is no upside to that. So from your perspective, if you had, like, a magic wand (laughs) and could just do what you needed to do to make things better from your perspective, what would that look like? Okay, so I would want to see economic growth here. And, and so there's two things that drive property values, okay? It's, it's a really cool uh, study that I did my thesis on that is, is, was life-changing for me, and some people really don't care because it's a little nerdy. <laughs> but, but I'll tell you what, what makes property valuation increase. It's two things. It's population 
people moving to the area, right? So there being a demand for housing and income. And if it's stable, it's fine, but stable with a little bit of growth and either of those is going to create economic growth. And, and that's a good thing because if your property is worth more, right, then everything else starts coming into place. But in order for that to happen, what do you have to have here? Jobs. Mm-hmm. So how many of these, what are they, Amazon centers that they're putting in? Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, wait, Dayton, right? Maybe Columbus, mm-hmm. Cle- I, Cleveland. That's where I'm thinking. I'm hearing these distribution centers are going. Not that they don't need jobs. Of course they need jobs. But why don't we have those types of facilities being placed here in southeastern Ohio. Because you know what? The people in southeastern Ohio have the skills to work at those types of facilities. And why aren't we getting those types of jobs and those types of resources and infrastructure here in our region so that we can bring people here? Instead, we have people commuting. They're driving to Columbus. They're driving to Lancaster. They're driving you know, somewhere else to work. And, and that's not going to continue to help this region. We can't keep leaving here to, to, to feed our children here and educate our children here. So, uh, you know, at some point, I think Ohio has to realize what its shape actually looks like and that there really is a southeastern Ohio region that has a lot of opportunity, has a lot of wealth in their people and their skills and their abilities, but not so much in their dollars or in their pockets. Outside of um, economic growth to this region, is there anything you would do it, try and do it at the legislative level in terms of how we think about funding and how we distribute tax dollars and where those tax dollars goes and who has the say in, in, in um, who we exempt from certain taxes, et cetera? Is there something that needs to change in that, on that system level? What, would, what do you see that being? I think it would be better if the state was not taking away taxes that they don't then have a penalty for losing. Right. So if they want to take away income tax for businesses or for charities or for whatever their cause is, their special interest, do that all day long. That's not money that's coming back to Athens County. But when you chip away at somebody else's tax base, I think that becomes very dangerous because those are the things that are going to be on the lit pieces, right? You know, we help this group, we help this group, we help this group. Not that those groups aren't worthy of being helped. Of course they are. But when you're giving away somebody else's tax revenue and then telling them to support themselves, that's a problem. So I look at state government a little differently than what some other folks do. I feel like local government is the foundation of the state government entity. So when you take out your cornerstones or you chip away at the base, the state will fall. Mm-hmm. And I feel like we aren't strengthening our cornerstones as a state. And that's not one entity or another. It's how we have begun looking at our political world, how people get elected, and what all of that is based on, and where the dollars and cents come from. There has to be a change in mindset for that to happen, which is a lot bigger than Jill Thompson, Athens County Auditor. (laughs) Was it it always, I mean, you've had this experience for 17 years now as an auditor. It sounds like you've always been involved um, or interested in government and all those sorts of things. Was 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 it different before? Have we have you sensed a shift in your time as a public servant, or has it always been this way in, in, from your perspective, that that's dynamic? That's an excellent question. So when times get tough, it's harder. When times are better, it's easier, right? Because I do think that, um, you know, the state does 
I think that our state legislators and I think our state government officials do take their jobs very seriously. But they have to make the tough decisions. So when they have to make cuts, they have to prioritize that and they have to decide what's important and what isn't important. And a lot of times, some of those things have price tags on them that could compromise them politically. And I, and I think we have a mindset in both parties where they're so worried about maybe their next position or their next step or where they're going to be going or, or what happens next that they aren't focusing and they aren't able to focus on what's here. Now, with all due respect, part of that's media too, right? Because the media is looking for chances to magnify weaknesses or take advantage of situations. Sometimes it's the right thing to do, even though it might not be popular. And so I think when you get to a point in your career or in your job where right is always right and wrong is always wrong, that's a game changer. And I don't think we're there in politics. More of like a sh short-term view as opposed to looking at the long game. Folks are think focusing on their immediate thinking short-term as opposed to long-term, perhaps. I, I think term limits made a huge difference. Mm -hmm. When I go to Columbus right now, I don't necessarily work with the legislators. I work with the aides. I work with the network. And I work with the constants. And the legislators are changing all the time. Right? So I think that hurt the fact that we lost some institutional knowledge there. Now, that's not popular because people want to say throw all the bums out every so often and get a new group in there. But part of being an effective elected official is understanding who to contact when you have a problem, right? And what the network is. Because sometimes it's not going to this office, it might be going to somebody who knows how to get their way through the system over here. And the people that learn that and the institutional knowledge and understand how to make things happen effectively and efficiently and quickly, if you turn them out, when the people still would choose them, then that's not always the in the best interest of the state government or the county or, or whatever the case may be. You know, I do believe that our voters need to be educated. I do think there could potentially be some rules through our election process that keep some things out. You know, you can't run a statewide election or a regional, you know, I ran for, for the state house without lies being told about you and you being misrepresented and there's no consequence. You know, I, I remember when that first happened to me and I was like, I, you know, first thing you do is you call the lawyer. They're saying this and this and this and this. And said, yeah, you signed up for it. Welcome, you know, welcome to the real world. And, and that is really eye-opening that people can really do or say pretty much anything. And what does that do to the voter? It just leaves them disenfranchised and they don't want either of them, right? Because it, it's the process that we have. How do you get to a more pure process? I don't know. Go back and look in history how horrible it was back in the beginning of the formation of our government. You think it's bad now? It was just as bad then, you know? That's what people do to get elected. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, a little off topic, but that's where that, that politics definitely has a role to play in making sure that we're putting people in office with high character and integrity, mm -hmm. and sometimes that don't need the job. Because I think that makes a difference, too. So, you know, the MCO impacts us really heavily here in Athens County. It's over $850,000 a year right now for us. So we're going to be losing that. So we have to look longer term. We're getting some transition aid. The transition aid is going um, – there is a, an algorithm, so to speak, um, that was built to decide who gets what. And, um, you know, they are trying to weight it a little heavily toward the more impacted counties. But when you look at that 
transition aid. So, okay, Venton County is the most impacted, right? Um, let me find a more current report. Bear with me. Um, so if you have You've come the most prepared of, <laughs> of all our guests oh. with reports <laughs> and papers. I feel like that's my job. I always yeah. feel so. weird when the guest has more papers than I do. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I am prepared. So, um, so Vinton County is going to be estimating, let me see what their loss is here. Even though it's a large percent of their, so I guess the point I'm trying to make, even though it's a really large percent of their budget, they're showing 24.58%. It's $345,000, which is a drop in the bucket to some counties, right? Mm -hmm. So they're losing $345,000. So let's pick a county like, um, let's just look at Cuyahoga. Cuyahoga, okay? Cuyahoga, it is 4% and it's $25 million. <laughs> so show me the algorithm that shows that it makes sense that their transitional aid is $25 million. Vinton County's transitional aid, it's off the charts. Wait for it. It's $2.8 million. Now that's a lot of money for Vinton County, but it's a drop in the bucket for Cuyahoga. Mm -hmm. Do you see? And that's not going to fix their problem because what's wrong in Vinton County? Vinton County is a county that has, again, a small tax base, not a lot of money. And, and when you go look at financial indicators that the auditor state's putting out, this is really interesting. So the first round of financial indicators showed in the weak counties, the small counties with a more stagnant of a tax base, capital asset infrastructure issues. Does that make sense to you? We have to provide a service or do you want to fix the plumbing? <laughs> that, that's what it comes down to. The roads aren't in the best shape, but we need to we need to keep the police cars on the road, mm -hmm. right? So what services, where are you going to draw those lines? So what happens is it's capital assets, it's infrastructure. So how far do you think $2.8 million is going to go in infrastructure in Vinton County? Because that's the biggest Band-Aid that they've been you know, dealing with. And then you take $25 million in Cuyahoga that's been working on mm -hmm. infrastructure and it has a healthy infrastructure, right? Because they have resources. So here's the other component that I want to talk about because he's going to cut me off, <laughs> is the opioid epidemic. Mm -hmm. Where do you think the heaviest hit areas are? Where we're sitting. It's the highest poverty areas, right? And the areas where we're dealing with Medicaid issues. And where do you think the money's going to go to fix the opioid epidemic? Columbus, Cincinnati, and Cleveland. <laughs> At least Columbus, right? Because they're forming commissions as we speak, I'm sure, to fix the problem. But you can't fix the problem in the state house. That's not where the rehabilitation centers are. That's not where the care and the help is. And where they're needed. That's not where it's needed. So at the same time, here's, here's the part that nobody's going to tell you. 50% of our general operating fund goes for criminal justice services. That's our prosecutor, our courts, our sheriff's department, right? What happens when our general fund is depleted? Are those, are those areas of government right now high in demand or low in demand? And those cuts, if you take them prorated, right? So we get cut $850,000, and if half of that's going to our criminal justice system, can they cut $400,000 from their budget? Show me where. At a time as this, where we're dealing with an opioid epidemic? 
And that affects everybody. Now there's another thing that's happening, TCAP. I don't know if you're paying attention to TCAP. So what they did is they said, we want you guys to negotiate a deal where we're going to put, the I think, the felony fives. We no longer want to send them to prison. We want them to come to your county jails, or we want you to come up with other solutions. Mm -hmm. So at the same time all of these other things are happening, they're telling us, keep your inmates here. Don't send them to prison, which is a cost, right? Mm -hmm. And op you mix that with the opioid epidemic. These are the, de the, the folks that generally are going to be looking at felony fours and felony fives. We see our prosecutor trying to work through solutions so that we can keep some funding here. That's important, right? And the southeastern Ohio regional jail is already overpopulated. <laughs> there you go. All of our jails are mm -hmm. dealing with this. When I go to Ohio Council of County Officials, the judge, you know, we have a judge sitting as our president right now. This is a big issue for county common police judges is these inmates. And we're have to, having to make decisions as to what we're going to do with these individuals. And these are lives. These are people and should never be considered a number devalued or um, not important because that's what I'm concerned that we're doing as a whole. And, and we can't do that. We've got to put value back on people and we've got to invest in our people. Jill Thompson, thanks for being with us. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. We'll definitely have you come back. Yeah. <laughs> There's so much more to talk about. Oh, when we come back, holiday time. Singing. Laughter. Ho, ho, ho. <laughs> <laughs> After the break. <laughs> Well, it's that time of year, the most wonderful time of the year for some. And uh, what is there to do in the 457 SEO to get you into that Christmas, Kwanzaa, Hanukkah, holiday spirit? Emily Votau, our, did we decide on a name for you? Our maven of happenings? <laughs> sure, that's cool. <laughs> our culture and entertainment and, no, I was not education, we'll cut that part out. Not that dude's not educating. Right. Our intrepid <laughs> culture reporter. Cultural journalist. Yeah. I was, I was trying to think Thanks. of a alliteration. Clandestine culture. Clandestine. We don't want it to be clandestine. <laughs> That's why. We want people to know. <laughs> he was not well thought out. <laughs> Emily, what's going on? First of all, how are you? I'm doing good. How about you? I'm doing all right. I sound a little nasally sexy bourbon infused but <laughs> i'm just gonna let that ride it's a good look the yeah. blues singer in you yeah <laughs> this christmas okay no sorry <laughs> cool. okay so what's going on there are a lot of things to go on this time of that are happening this time of year year in the hills Mm. And what do you have for us? Well, there's a lot of stuff going on. There's, uh, if you like um, holiday movies, and who doesn't like holiday movies? Um, on uh, Saturday, December 16th, there's going to be the last installment of this of the Athena Cinemas holiday film series for the year. Uh, they do it every year. It's going to be the 2004 animated movie, The Polar Express. Ooh. Which oh, uh, that creeped me out. <laughs> oh. I don't like that kind of animation. It's it a, it's a, a creepy weird. movie. It's yeah. a weird book too. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'm trying yeah, to think I, I remember the book. I didn't know my sons. until after 
it came out that they like actually CG'd in their faces, and that kind of creeped me yeah, out. Like, like Tom, Hanks Tom Hanks' face, they mapped it out and did all that, and I'm like, you're making it worse. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, I'm sorry, it's, it's anyway. not real cartoons. I like you're gonna be a cartoon, be a cartoon. Yeah, but anyhow, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, totally. Uh, Just yeah. me. But I mean, go see it. It's I'm sure great. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's fun to go see it in the theater, and you can get uh, you don't. I mean, a ticket is just uh, one canned or non-perishable food item that'll be uh, oh, awesome. donated to food banks in the in the area, and, and you'll also get a free uh, snowflake cookie. So that's, that's nice. It's Snow a nice movie, event. a cookie, and you're helping a good cause. I help you a good cause. Right. You, all you got to do is be creeped out for the rest mm. of the year <laughs> yeah. looking at that animation. You get the can not, of chickpeas. Not a heavy price to pay. Not a heavy price. <laughs> Uh, so that's what they're showing at 1 p.m. and 3 p.m. So you could go see it twice if you really wanted. Um, and that's when? That's on uh, Saturday, December 16th. Okay, dope. Yep, yep. And then uh, also same on the same day, uh, um, uh, there is the Winter Wine Express on the Hawking Ooh, Valley I'm going on that. Railway. <laughs> now you're talking. Yeah, that's great, right? <laughs> Hello. It's a benefit for stewards. Um, train doors open at 6 p.m. Tickets are 30 to $45. Um, for about an hour and a half, you get to ride on a train, drink three drinks, but you can always get more drink tickets if you need for five dollars a pop and then uh, you also get some food boxes with like little treats in it cheese bread fruit candy throughout the trip so it's it's a nice fundraiser for stewards neat when is that that's on the uh that's also on the 16th at um the train will open stores at 6 p.m so, nice yeah. wine bread cheese and a train what else do you need in your life where Truly. does the train go i'm not really sure i think it will be about an hour and a half trip and i think it's just a loop yeah that sounds like fun mm-hmm. yeah yeah, and then uh, we got more holiday entertainment, and uh, in, in Jackson, Ohio, there will be Grandpa's Addict, a family Christmas spectacular, put on by the D.M. Davis Choirs at the Marquet Theater at uh, 269 East Main Street in Jackson. It uh, starts at 7 p.m., and tickets are 5 to $7. It's a pretty, um, like, standard, heartwarming, holiday-style concert with a little bit of theatrical action thrown in there. Hmm. Mm. What was the name of it? Grandpa's Attic, a family Christmas spectacular. Mm. Then on the day afterwards, December 17th at 3 p.m., they'll um, the, the Parkersburg Schrader Youth Ballet will put on the Nutcracker Claire's Dream, which is a condensed version of the Nutca- Nutcracker Ballet. And um, tickets are 15 to $18 each. That's awesome. Yeah. Nutcracker's a tradition my family always had. So that gets me all sentimental. Oh, so you would go see it every mm-hmm. year? Yeah. <coughs> Did you ever theater. perform in it? No, Lord, no. <laughs> Never even as a Have little... Have you seen me dance? No. Yeah. Exactly. That was just as a little kid, you could be a sugar plum. Sugar no, plum. this was the, the like, fairy ballet met company that we would see. Oh, but the oh youth nice. Sounds oh, cool. even better. December 17th, there will be, at 4 p.m., at the Templeton Blackburn Alumni Memorial Auditorium, the Ohio University School of Music's Community Band is going to perform with the Athens Children Chorus at uh, 4 p.m. for just like a just standard holiday concert. It should be really nice. Community, nice. so there's community and university And university people? together, yeah. That's cool. Mm. Yep. And uh, the Children's Choir? Yeah, yeah. I haven't heard them. I haven't heard them yet. You should go. I should go. December Are you a 17th? big go out and do things around the holiday kind of person? I try to go out to one or two things just by myself so you get kind of out of that, you know, so that way you feel more connected. Connected, and, yeah. Right? <laughs> I, I do the exact opposite. Mm-hmm. Hibernator. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> it's so cold. It gets so dark so fast. Right. Ooh. Right. 
And then usually on Christmas Eve, then I'm in the spirit. I'm like, okay, now I want to do this. I want to do this. I want to bake. I want to do all these things. Because the deadline, the journalist. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's true. The deadline. Yeah. Great. And that's all I got. What are your traditions for the holidays? My traditions, I um, always watch Pee Wee Herman's um, Christmas Spectacular on Christmas Eve. That's awesome. But that's probably my main Christmas thing that I do. But yeah, yeah, yeah. What about you guys? I don't celebrate Christmas. No? Any holiday stuff? I I mean... Any holidays around this time of year? There's no... I mean, there's... No, not really. Not in, like, my cultural background. Um, I... I mean, when I was a like, little kid, like my parents would do the Christmas tree and the presents and stuff mm-hmm. to help feel like you fit it in and whatnot. Because you're like, I want a Christmas tree. But then, like around middle school, we stopped that. Mm-hmm. My parents mm-hmm. were like, Do you want to get a Christmas tree this year? It was just sort of this thing where, like, no, we don't really need one. Mm-hmm. It, it was a, a thing when you're younger, you wanted to feel like everyone else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's um, yeah, it's funny that I'm not particularly religious anymore, but I insist upon we need a nativity scene because my family oh, yeah. always had one. And I just, apparently when I was a ki- little kid, I used to steal the Jesus from it. Oh, <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah, whatever. But I, <laughs> I still think we need one, even though, you know, the church part of it, I'm still a spiritual person, but the church part of it's gone. But I still like, we need a nativity scene. And I binge watch those Hallmark Christmas movies. Oh, That nice. has been the only thing on my TV lately. And I get completely sucked into them, which is bad when you're trying to do a graduate project. But always, you always find a way to procrastinate. Yep. My my mom did later on start collecting like snow globes and those little like Christmas village. Oh, cute! Um, yeah. Porcelain houses or whatever. Sure, so she my would like decorate the house with the these snow globes. And I'm like, why are you? Why? It's like why? Are you? And she would buy them from Costco. She would just. So she <laughs> has a collection of them. Does any of that's cool? And those then, are, you know, those can be non Christmassy, just wintry. My mom That's does the true. same thing. She but gets snowmen because they can go all year, all season. Yeah. So she would decorate. You know it was the holiday time, I guess, or that winter season when she would bring those out. But I don't know if she does that anymore. I haven't been home in a while. You should so. go home. They're not, I can't even go home. They're not even home. They're in, they're in India and Nepal right now. Oh, so they're, wow. not, they're out of the country <laughs> until January. So Nice. Allison, you got any traditions? Baking cookies, you said? And pies. Hi. Baking cookies and pies. Um, no, growing up, we used to have a Christmas tree, but when my brother was about six years old, and I was, so that made me like 12, he, you know, that's when they learned in school that you have to keep a tree watered because trees can be a fire hazard and all of that. And it freaked them out that we could have this, you know, potential fire starter in the home because he was a real cautious kid. And then that morning, that Christmas morning, happened to wake up. So he was all very paranoid all leading up to Christmas. And then that morning, the tree happened to have fallen over. And no, the fire was started. And there was no, you know, danger of that. But it came over and, I mean, wake up and the tree is down on the presents. He freaks out. I'm laughing. I didn't cause it. I didn't do it. But it was funny to me and because he was freaked out. And um, he was like, he didn't want a tree anymore. That was it. He did not want a tree. And my mom was, uh, my mom and my stepdad were like, cool. <laughs> Yay, don't have to do it. That's it. And so we never had a tree after that. My dad, I would visit him summers and Christmases. My dad always had a tree and would deck out everything. But I it just wasn't really into it. And mm-hmm. um 
so that part of it. But what I enjoy and what I miss is the getting getting together with a lot of family. Um, that's what I miss. That that's the tradition that I enjoy about our holidays. Growing up, um, large families mm-hmm. and. We always were over one grandparent's house, and we had a part uh, in our family, a set of a brother and sister, married siblings. So we kind of like double cousins, you know, and not in a weird way, but just a brother and a sister, married a brother and a sister and a brother, however you want to say that. And so we would be at one grandparent's house, and then, all right, we'd go pop calling and go to the family, and we'd be over at another family's (laughs) house, you know, this uh, other uh, grandparent's house. And so... Um, so I miss that kind yeah. of that loudness and that fun and silliness and and all of that. Yeah. So, but yeah. yeah, that's. But I don't want people over my house. Yeah, don't do that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't want a whole bunch of people that, yeah. coming over. I don't no. have that skill. <laughs> uh, no, I'll bring stuff. I'll bake. You know, I'll bring stuff to to you, and I'll even help clean up. But don't walk around and touch my stuff. <laughs> It's true that there's the, the element of whimsy that you don't usually get. My like my parents aren't too particularly uh, goofy, but my dad gets those British Christmas crackers, which apparently are becoming a thing where you pull them oh, apart and they yeah. pop, and it has a paper crown in it, and it's like a British thing. My dad puts a paper crown on on Christmas, which is the hey, weirdest thing for cool. this emeritus professor that is not particularly goofy but he puts a paper crown on and makes everyone else do it nice and tells this the funny jokes that come in it that are like what why was six afraid of seven to seven eight nine those kind of stupid mm-hmm. jokes <laughs> <laughs> that's what i always remember where does your dad get those you can get them at like coles now and like uh i saw him at elder beerman on black friday now because my friend saw him and went what are these things and they're just like they look like you know how like candies are can- twist wrapped. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Pull them apart, and they have a little part of sulfur, like a matchstick, so it pops when you open it. And then mm-hmm. it has like a little cheap whistle or something, right. and then a paper crown they put on, and a stupid joke in it. Wow! Before cool. dinner every year, <laughs> my dad would do those. We got the traditions. We got the traditions, and a big part of that is music. And yeah. big part holiday is music. music. You have a favorite song? I'm not a big music person, so. I can't think of anything like off the top of my head that, that I like. That gets you into the mood for like winter time or anything like that? I really love Little Drummer Boy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I just I just love that A song. A rump pum Yeah. Anything Trans-Siberian Orchestra. And oh, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm the, just because it's Siberian? <laughs> no, because it's, <laughs> it's like purely Christmas. Rock, like. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Because it's cold stuff. <laughs> So anything from them? Yeah. Well, for holiday music, the Mad Russian. Uh, oh shoot, what's it called? The Mad Russian. It's the Tchaikovsky from the Nutcracker that they that their version of it is amazing. I've seen them live do it, and it's quite amazing. No Hanson. Oh Hanson, yeah. Hanson <laughs> has a new album out, new Christmas album out. Susan's oh very God. excited. October twenty seventeen. It has a version of Someday at Christmas, which makes me cry every time. It's it's Someday it's a big day at Christmas. Exactly. It makes you cry. It makes me cry. Their harmonies wow. are unbelievable. 
but I could continue. Moving on. (laughs) (laughs) Emily, do you have uh, Christmas music that or holiday music that gets you in the mood for the season? Oh, for sure. I love I love Christmas music. I love Christmas music. Um, my dad's a huge music nerd, and every year he used to put together like. uh, like 20 or 30 track CD of like different crazy Christmas music he'd picked up throughout the year like I love your dad yeah he's me too he's the greatest but I got to learn (laughs) about a lot of cool Christmas music that way and I always sound like a nerd when I talk about but I love um the Vince Guardi trio did the um the the Peanuts music that everybody loves so Mm -hmm. much Mm -hmm. and I love the Christmas uh, the Christmas Charlie Brown album I love it so much it's great Mm -hmm. and like uh, yeah, was, they're actually they were actually like a pretty weird like jazz group that did that music, and it's yeah. great. It's a great record. So I, I like have that on Christmas. vinyl, and it's red oh, and white. Really? So when it spins, that's it so looks cool. like a candy cane. I, I nice. hear you. I hear you. Cool. Yeah, that's probably my top favorite. But yeah, my Christmas or holiday music pretty much um, the traditions. Uh, uh, Silent Night by The Temptations. It has to be their version. Um, Donny Hathaway, This Christmas, has to be that version. And then the one that's kind of off the beaten trail and it is kind of sad, um, Prince, uh, Another Lonely Christmas. I don't think I've heard that one. Song. No. Last night, <laughs> <laughs> it's so been sad. another lonely Christmas. <laughs> But um, so and on that note, we'll actually um, put our top. What are we gonna say? Five songs. Mm-hmm. We'll each five songs on Spotify. So in this link, you'll see how to reach, um, how to connect to our Spotify playlist for our holiday songs. Yeah, something new we're trying. Well, um, leave us a comment on what your traditions are if you head to any of the shows um, between the Christmas train, or no, that was the wine train and the Christmas movie, and some of the, if you step into Grandpa's attic. (laughs) (laughs) Or go see the Nutcracker. Or go see the Nutcracker, or what else? The Children's Choir. And the Children's Choir. And the Community Community Concert. Um, some neat things to do in and around the 457 SEO. Post your pictures for the holidays and, um, and enjoy safely and happily and all those good things. And uh, we'll, you'll hear from us in the new year. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. <laughs> Cool. Thank you, Emily. Yeah, sure Thanks, thing. Emily. Thank you guys for having me. We'll see you in the new year. Yeah, I'll see you guys. Happy yeah. 2018. Yeah. Happy 2018. So we missed Aaron on this episode because he was busy doing journalist things. But um, he's such an integral part of this podcast because this is the part where he knows the goodbye by heart (laughs) and he just rattles it off. Mm. But I'll just say thank you for joining us on this episode of the 457 SEO. We are recorded here in the Telemix studios at WOUB Public Media. Our music is provided (laughs) by Nathan McGuire. Adam Rich is our studio engineer. Aaron Payne is our editor. And what else do we say? Allison Hunter is our editor-in-chief. Oh, I'm the editor-in-chief. Oh, my gosh. Does that give you a lot of, uh, a lot of confidence? Shush, you don't say it. I say it. <laughs> Susan is our assignment editor and journalist. 
um, about town. Atish Baidia is our multimedia content editor and our student media coordinator. What else? At the I end of the year. It. Emily Votal. Oh. Emily Votal is our... We haven't decided one whole name for her, but she handles all of our culture page and writing and coordinating of arts and entertainment and culture. How can you find us? You can find this podcast on iTunes and SoundCloud and at WOUB.org and at Google Play and Stitcher Radio. Stitcher Radio. There's something else. Oh, we have the Spotify. We are going to have the Spotify sound. Not sound list. What's it called? Playlist. We're going to have a Spotify <laughs> playlist. Wow. Is today Friday? No. Might as well be. Today we'll say it's Friday. Friday. It's whatever day it is you're listening to us. That's the day it is. And it feels like a Friday around here. <laughs> we'll see you in 2018. Right. Yeah. I'm Allison Hunter. I'm Susan Devin. And I'm Atish Baidia. Hey.